Good morning. So I'd like to, uh, like to start with a question, um, and it's a, an earnest question. Um, it's one that uh, I've asked, been asked recently, and one I'd like to ask you, just kind of ponder on for a moment, is um, do you think the Lord has more for you? Do you think that the Lord wants more for you? Do you think the Lord wants more for you and him in relationship? I've been thinking about Joanna Smith's image that she gave us during her senior talk the last few days. Um, didn't she do a great, everybody, they were both so good. Um, but Joanna's image of the table that she was talking about, the king's table, and how he, the king has his table and he invites his children to the table, right? By virtue of the fact that we're adopted into his family, we have a seat at the table. And at the table is, is the most nourishing food. At the table is the place where we find f true nourishment and fulfillment. And I was thinking, kind of expanding on that picture and how often it is that I um, run around in different places in the world eating of the different things of the world, trying to find nourishment and fulfillment, satisfaction. And all I have to do is sit at the king's table and eat what the king provides. And I think with age, there comes the possibility, it doesn't always come, but the possibility to see your past clearly, to see the way that God has been faithful and worked, um, to look back and see how God has been faithful. Um, Paul does just that. Um, Paul I think would answer, does the Lord have more for us? He would say, oh, he does. And he would look back at his life and talk about what the Lord has done, that he might point forward to what the Lord has for us. Um, and it strikes me that so much of Scripture is old people looking back on the faithfulness of God and how he has interacted with them, loved them, cared for them, led them. And that's what Paul is doing in the book of 1 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. And you can always feel Paul's deep love for Timothy. And he's writing and he's asking him, stay in Ephesus. And while you're there in Ephesus, you need to deal with some false teachers. They're teaching false doctrine. You need to challenge them. You need to command them to preach only the gospel. But you're going to do it. When you do it, it's out of love. Love that comes from a clear conscience and a sincere and true faith. And you, you can almost hear Paul is an old man. He's near his death, and he's looking back, and he's reflecting, he's calling people to faithfulness. But imbued in every word that he says is what God has done in his life. And he begins to reflect back on it as we move down. He's talking about the law and these, these teachers in Ephesus who they, they want to be teachers of the law but they have no idea what they're talking about and they don't know what they're teaching. So he's, he's talking about the false teachers, but as he talks about the false teachers, it causes him to reflect back and think about himself. And here's where he goes. I'm going to read this in, and then I'm going to do a little something different. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy, trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now what I'd like to do is read that same passage with a little bit of interpretation kind of moved in. Lord, I am so grateful that Jesus has sustained me, that he would consider me trustworthy, appointing me to serve him, to represent him. Even though there was a time when I spoke against him and murdered his servants, he showed me mercy. I was so ignorant, I couldn't see with the eyes of faith. He showed me his mercy by pouring out grace upon me and instilling faith and love within me. Faith and love that could only come from him. It was the grace that saved and faith and love that sustained me. And all of it, the fact that he would save and transform me leads to one conclusion. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. I was, and I am, the worst, because now I do see with eyes of faith. I see the depth of his grace and in turn see the depth of my own sin. If God showed me mercy, then everyone should have hope in light of his patience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise him. Praise him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it reveals yourself to us. And thank you, Lord, that we see your faithfulness in the lives of the saints and in our lives. Be with us now. I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us by your spirit. pray in Christ's name, amen. Does God have more for you? Does he want more for you? Paul, looking back at his life, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Strength. And what Paul is talking about here, and when, when we pray for strength, what are we praying for? The strength that Paul is talking about is a strength of perseverance. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. I I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has persevered me, that I might continue, that I might have lived the way that I lived for so many years. And I thank him that he gave me the strength to do it. And Paul knew crazy stuff, right? He knew snake bites, shipwrecks. He knew what it was like to be stoned, but he also, he knew really normal life stuff. He knew hard friendships and the disappointment of people that he loved choosing foolishness. Yet, he made it. He was bruised, beaten at times, perhaps barely standing, but he made it. And he's reflecting back now as an old man, and he knows that it was God who gave him the strength. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And any time that trustworthy comes up in Scripture, it's almost always about God. Rarely is it about people. It's about his covenant, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, his mercy. They are all trustworthy. But Paul, in referring to himself as trustworthy, 
is not Paul saying that God recognized, saw Paul, determined that he was trustworthy, and therefore called him into service by saving him. Instead, it's an old man reflecting back on the fact that God did consider him trustworthy, and his conclusion is based on the nature of what was entrusted to him. So let me ask you this. Are you trustworthy? Like, would God look at you and call you trustworthy? In and of yourself, of course not. But if you've been redeemed and adopted as children, he has deemed you trustworthy. And trustworthy to do what? Trustworthy to serve him. Paul says, appointing me to his service. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be appointed to the service of the king, right? It means that we represent him, that we carry out his plans. A more official title is ambassador. And that word ambassador, I know, it almost pushes us away from what, what I think can be really um, uh, clear. But I, I like it. An ambassador is one who would reflect the one who has called him to serve. And the reality is that we are all ambassadors. Every one of us. We are ambassadors either to God or we are ambassadors of self. We are representers of one or the other. There isn't a non-ambassador. You are either an ambassador of the king or you're an ambassador of self. And how often do we live as ambassadors of self? Um, I was thinking about kind of what that looks like. Being an ambassador to yourself is a pretty discouraging proposition because we are finite, we're sinful, we're not always wise. Um, but if you were to be an ambassador for yourself, can you imagine what it would look like? Um, as I was picturing it, here's kind of what I thought. Um, imagine yourself on a ship, like you've got a boat, right? And I'm picturing like an old pirate ship. So it's a big wooden boat. And you're standing on the ship, and here's what you are doing. You are waving your arms up in the air, and you are yelling, My ship is awesome. My ship is the best ship. Look at my ship. I like my ship, and you should too, because it's an awesome ship. And I say so, because it's my ship, and it's awesome. And you should believe me and you're standing on top of the mast, and it's your ship. But then, if you pull back, you get a visual, you pull back, and you realize that the ship is engulfed in flames and going in circles in the ocean. You might think your ship is awesome, but your ship is not awesome. An ambassador for the Lord is on a different kind of ship. That was kind of funny, huh? <laughs> uh, it was funny in my head. It's usually not funny to other people when it's funny in my head. Um, but when you're an ambassador for the Lord, it's different. You're on the ship, and the ship may be going through rocky waters. The ship may go through storms, but the ship is stable and secure and right, and the ship is strengthened by the one who owns the ship. Paul talks about it. We need to be reminded of it, that not only are we ambassadors called to serve, 
we're not our own. And we can't be reminded of that, I don't think, often enough. You do not belong to you. You are not your own. You've been purchased at a price and called with love to serve the king. So we, as new creations, were appointed to service, to represent our king. And as amazing as it is, he deems us trustworthy, even though we've never proven ourselves trustworthy. And then he gives us strength to persevere as we live out the mission that he calls us to. But how does he do that? What does it look like? And what does Paul think? So Paul's reflecting on being called, being strengthened, being appointed to service. And then he reflects on who he was, though. And he reflects on how improbable it is that God would call him to represent him. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. From wonder to wonder, what makes all of this more remarkable for Paul is he knows who he was when he was called. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, but it was all personal. He was a blasphemer against Jesus. He was a persecutor of those who bared his name, and he murdered his servants. Yet God offered him mercy instead of judgment. And Paul knows it acutely. Remember on road to Damascus? Paul's struck with the light. Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He knows that in all of his actions, he was persecuting Christ himself. And then Paul says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord was poured out abundantly upon me. And when you think about these two things, the grace is that which is poured out upon him, that which saves him and literally calls him into service as a son of the king. But the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, those are things that are instilled into him by virtue of the grace that was poured out upon him. So the grace is that which turns him, makes his heart new and alive, but the faith and the love are those which are instilled into his heart by Christ Jesus. And it's those things, the faith and the love, that strengthen and sustain him and persevere him. That is the strength that God provided, that Jesus Christ gave him. And faith and love not talking about ethereal concepts or targetless emotions that sound good, but faith in God the Father and love for the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what sustained Paul. That was his persevering. That was his strength. It was his faith in God the Father and his love and his trustworthiness and his promises, and it was his love for Jesus Christ who poured out his grace upon him, who literally gave him eyes to see. Paul, who had thought that he understood the world so perfectly, thought that he understood religion, thought that he understood God, had the shields fall from his eyes, and he actually saw the world as it really was. He saw Jesus Christ as he truly is. And he says, thank you, Lord, for pouring grace upon me and filling me with faith and love. And Paul is an aged man looking back There's no doubt he knows that any strength that was going to persevere him, 
wasn't going to come from himself. It had to come from the Father. It says, here, then, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. It's miraculous that God would consider Paul trustworthy, but there's nothing questionable about this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I will pause there for one sec. We hear it, we read it, we know it. It's so much a part of who we are, but we don't want to ever be dulled by those words that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That God took on flesh and became one of us that he might die in our place. Death that we deserve and that should have been ours. Make no mistake, Jesus on the cross should have been us on the cross. But he went to the cross and paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. He died in our place, tasting death, God, that we might be saved, that we might again be called his and his children. So when Paul says, of whom I am the worst, as Paul sees the magnitude of God's grace, he understands more and more the magnitude of his own sin. I always thought that was kind of an interesting phrase, I'm the worst sinner, right? I am the chief of sinners, but there's no hyperbole there. Paul's not trying to say I'm a better sinner than everyone else. He's simply saying, I see how sinful I am before a holy God. And the reality is that each and every one of us are chief sinners. Each and every one of us say rightly and say with full and utter conviction, I am the worst. And Paul, in that, when he says that, he didn't say I was the worst. He said I am the worst. It's present and continuous because he knows that still he is not yet fully redeemed because he's not yet met glory. Uh, he is fully redeemed, but you know what I mean. Um, he knows that his flesh still wars against his spirit. He knows that when Christ returns, then and only then will he be able to say that he is no longer the chief of sinners. But then he says, for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If God showed mercy to me, Paul, the chief sinner, who I know is so far from the holiness of the living God, everyone should have hope in God's immense patience. And then the only response that he can do is praise to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. His response is praise because Paul is essentially a beggar that has found food. And he wants to point everyone else to the food that he has found. So, pull back to our initial question at the beginning. Does the Lord have more for you? Does he want more for you with him? Paul would say yes. I think you would say yes as well. So let's do this. If you look at, at this text and we get to the how, how do I have more? What does he want for me? 
grace cannot, by anything of your doing, increase, right? Grace is not yours to meet out upon yourself. Grace is that which God meets upon you. But that which strengthens faith and love, faith in God and love for Jesus Christ, those two things might increase within us. Those are two things which can and do increase in measure. You say, how? How does my faith in God increase? And how, how does my love for Jesus Christ increase? And we'll take it back to the table. Joanna asked that question and talked about, here's the table of the king seated right, right there, and, and we have a seat waiting for us with our name on it, and the name is child. It's son or daughter. And when we sit down at that table and we eat, what do you imagine you're eating? You might imagine the greatest steak. You might imagine your very favorite foods. You might imagine the best wine in the world. But that's not what you're eating. When you sit at that table, when you sit at that chair, as a son of the king, what you do is you feast on the king. Feast on God. How do you feast on God? You feast on God in his word, in prayer. He becomes your sustenance, your strength, that your faith might increase, that your love for Jesus Christ might increase, that in five days you might look back, that in ten years you might look back, or that the very last breath you breathe, you look back and you realize grace was poured out upon you that you might be a servant. And the faith in God and love in Jesus Christ strengthened you through every day, every moment, every year, and you have one and only one response to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, our loving Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you call us to be yours, that you sustain us by faith and love that come from you. I ask, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would draw us close to you. I pray, Lord, that you would not let us be comfortable or satisfied unless we are feasting on you and you alone. Lord, please be with us. Draw us close to Jesus. Give us a desire to be more like him than any other desire that we have. Bless us, guide us, and walk with us. We pray in and through our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.